as we've been going through this Advent season, I've been thinking about a particular idea. And that is that no religion is making the claim that you are celebrating tonight. Not one. No other religion on the planet is making the claim that we are gathered here to celebrate tonight. And as we go throughout the Christmas season, the Advent season, there's one word that continues to come up over and over again. And this one word shows the uniqueness of Christianity in a very powerful way. And the word that we repeat over and over again that reveals this kind of uniqueness is the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. I mean, think about it. Whenever we say the word Emmanuel, whenever we make the claim that we believe that Christmas is true, whenever we say this word, we are saying that the God who created the heavens and the earth, everything that is good on the planet, the God who created everything that is seen and unseen, we are saying that this God broke into time and space and human history and came to be with us, humanity. Think about that. Think about it. You see, we say words like Emmanuel so often that we forget the magnitude of them. We forget that when we say or sing Emmanuel, we are making a crazy and audacious claim. And again, no one else is making this claim. Think about it. Think about Islam, for example. We as Christians say we believe in God with us, right? Well, Islam would say no God with us. God could not be with us in any way. It would not be possible. Because of Allah's tawheed, his oneness, there is no way that Allah could descend or condescend and come and be with humanity. And to make the claim that Allah would come would be blasphemous. Or think about Buddhism. Christians say we believe in God with us. The Buddhist makes the claim that God is us. They believe that the smallest substance to the greatest power in the universe is all one. They're all connected. There's no differentiation between creator and creation. It's all one. And so God can't be with us because we are God. Or think about the claims throughout history. Think about the Greeks or the Norse gods. We Christians say we believe in God with us. They would say, well, maybe there could be a God among us. A God could come. There are many. And that God could come down and be on the planet for a period of time. Or take a group maybe like today, like the Jehovah's Witness, for example. They believe that the Father created the Son. And as he created the Son, then he sent the Son into the world. But that's not God with us. At best, that's God's representative with us but it's not God with us. The claim that we're making here is crazy. It is amazing, and it is absolutely unique. But this idea of God being with us is something that God has talked a lot about throughout the centuries. If you just start walking through Scripture, you'll see this over and over again. There's this theme that comes up, this desire that the Father has to be with His people, and He makes promise after promise 
that this is going to be the case. One day he's talking to Jacob in a dream. In Genesis 28, 15, he says, And behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until until I have done what I have promised you. Or to Moses in Exodus 33, 14, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What kind of God makes these kind of promises to humans? Again, think about it. The God who created the heavens and the earth is saying, I want to be with you. Or what about the words that come out of Aaron's mouth in Numbers 14, verse 9? As they're going in to take the promised land, Aaron says, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. What would lead a human being to make that kind of statement that this God would be with us? Or what about the book of Leviticus? You know, the book that we all read when we're trying to fall asleep. Leviticus 26, 11 through 12. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. It's as if as God is given the sacrificial laws and setting that system in place, as he's laying the groundwork for his tabernacle and ultimately his temple, it's as if God is already paving the road for another promise that was going to come. You see, God over and over kept saying this throughout the centuries to his people. What about Ezekiel? Ezekiel 37, 27, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people over and over. And then one day God spoke through a prophet. The prophet was Isaiah. In Isaiah 7, 14, God says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And all of a sudden, everything began to shift. God has now spoken of a particular kind of being with his people. And then the world waited. And it kept waiting. And in 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, the world waited. And then we read Matthew 1, 22 and 23 that says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Everything that was going on in Mary and Joseph's life, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in that one sentence, in that one sentence, reality as we know it changed forever. But the question is why? Why does God want to be with us? Why does God want to be with a humanity, a world that is so messed up? There's so many problems in the world. Why would God want to be with us? I think we find the answer to that question in a part of one particular verse in the New Testament. And the one particular verse that I'm referring to is a rhetorical question asked by Paul in Romans 8:31, when he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? In that one sentence, we see why God has gone to such great lengths to dwell, to be with, to walk among 
his people. You see, God is with us. We have Emmanuel. God is with us because he is for us. God is with us because he is for us. And listen, God is not for you because you've earned such a status. God is not for you because you've achieved a particular rank in heaven. God is for you because he created you. God is for you because he created you in his image and likeness. And God has eternal purposes for each and every one of us. He's for us. He's for us. And in order to communicate that he was for us, he chose to dwell among us. And in so doing, in entering humanity, he unwrapped his mystery and manifested his presence. This is why John would write in 1 John 1, 1 and 2, that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What John is saying in those verses is that God did not just appear in human history just to show himself, but he wanted us to understand the nature of true conversion, true belief. What John is saying is that we can know that we know him. That's why John would go on to write in 1 John 4, 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, he's come in the flesh, is, is from God. You say, am I a part of God's family? The question John would say is, do you believe he came in the flesh? It all starts there. It all starts with what we are celebrating right here tonight. And we can know. We can know. John tells us that our belief in this Emmanuel, our belief in this God with us, this God in the flesh, proves to us that our belief is true. It is true. And his work has been accomplished in us. That's why John would go on to write in 2 John 7. There's no chapters, just a verse. 2 John 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. That's heavy language. But John says to deny that Jesus came into the world in the flesh to deny the incarnation, to deny what we celebrate at Christmas, John says that puts you in the category of you are deceived and you are deceiving others and you are anti-Christ. And once again, we see that our belief in this God in the flesh, this Emmanuel unveils for those around us and it also confirms within us that we truly believe in the incarnate Son of God and the belief This belief is what Christmas proclaims, that a child was born, not of the will of man, but of the will of God, and that is the foundation of authentic faith. Let's go back to our original question. Why would God come and dwell among us? Answer, because he's for us. And I'm glad you came tonight, because you're here for me to tell you that God is for you. God is for you. You may not be for yourself. You may look in the mirror and have a lot of negative thoughts. 
But I'm here to tell you tonight, God is for you. Christmas proves that God is for you. Never forget that. And the Bible says, if God is for you, who could be against you? Who could ever come against you? But even though God is for you, he will not force his kindness on you. But he is offering it. He is offering it to each and every one of us. This is why Paul would pin the words of 2 Corinthians 8, 9, when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Our Emmanuel, our God with us, gave up all the true riches of heaven. Those riches that cannot be bought on earth. He gave them all up so that we might have the opportunity to exchange our spiritual poverty for something we could never, never purchase on our own. Why? Because he's for you. The offer that he has extended in what we celebrate at Christmas, this Emmanuel, God with us, proves that he is for you. There's one, only one, only one person who will ever keep you from obtaining the spiritual wealth that flows from the grace of God. There's only one that will keep you from obtaining the spiritual wealth that flows to us by the mercy of God. There's only one who will ever keep you from obtaining the spiritual wealth that comes to us from the throne of God. And that is you. That is you. Only you can stop that. Again, he offers it. He offers it to every one of us. And only you can say no. But I want to encourage you. Never let your nostalgia keep you from seeing the true nature of our Emmanuel. Never let the craziness of the month called December keep you from seeing the character of our Christ. Instead, may we wade through all the seasonal distractions and see a Savior. May we wade through all the busyness of this season and see Him. Because He is the Savior who is with us on our darkest night. But He is also for us. And He's the one who brings the dawning of a new day. And so may we go through this season... And may we truly see him as the light, not just of the world and in general, but the light of our lives as well. We light candles every Christmas Eve. That is such a powerful image. That yes, it is light collectively, absolutely, and it's beautiful. But you're the one holding the candle because he's the light in your life as well. He is the light that shines in all our darkness. And that's why, that's why he is Emmanuel. He is with us because he is for us. In 1868, in 1868, Philip Brooks 
pin the words to a song that we've already sung here tonight. And I'll remind you of one of the verses. He says this. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. We just sang it in the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. My prayer for you is that this Christmas, you could say exactly that. Oh, come to us, abide with us. Oh, come to me, abide with me, my Lord, Emmanuel. When you can pray that kind of prayer and ask that kind of, or take that kind of request to God, that's when you know that his light has shone and is shining in your life. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the light that shines in all our darkness. We thank you that we are not alone. We thank you that we are not alone because you have come. You have made yourself known within humanity. And for that we say thank you. But Father, you making yourself known is not just something you did 2,000 years ago. Lord, you come even now and make yourself known even now because you are for us. I pray that as we go throughout this night, the remainder of this season, may we know that we know that we are not alone and you are for us. May your light shine in all our darkness. May you be our Emmanuel. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name and everybody said.